Well, there was once a king by the name of Solomon who asked the question, what is the meaning of all this? What's the meaning of life? You see, Solomon admitted that there was a hole in his heart and he needed to plug it up with something. And so uh, he decided, I'm going to go ahead and pursue all those things I think that might fill my heart. He built incredible palaces and mansions. He had amazing real estate projects going on. I mean, he built parks and reservoirs and gardens. He had the best entertainment. He had unbridled sexual encounters. Ate the best food, drank the best wine. He had it all. And yet he writes in his journal, also known as the book of Ecclesiastes, these words in chapter 2. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. This sounds great, doesn't it? I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. If you fast forward about 3,000 years, we discover another man who all he ever really wanted in life was more. Just more. He wanted more money. So he parlayed his wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and a star. He wanted more sensual pleasures, so he paid handsome sums to indulge his every sexual urge. He wanted more thrills, so he designed, built, and piloted the world's fastest aircraft. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt favors to politicians. Eventually, uh, two presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. He believed that if he just got more, his life would be satisfied. And yet, by all accounts, Howard Hughes died. A lonely, empty man. They found him alone in a hotel room. Emaciated, drug marks all over his hands, fingernails grown out in a grotesque way. By all accounts, by the end of his life, he was insane. Now those are two fairly extreme examples of something I think every human being struggles with. We recognize, along with Solomon and Howard Hughes, that there is a hole in our heart. And it needs to be filled. If you're following on your notes there, we've always tried to fill the hole in our hearts. From Genesis 3 until today. But just like Solomon and Howard Hughes discovered, pursuing earthly things ultimately only leaves us empty again. This morning we are continuing our series in the Gospel of John. We're calling it Encountering Christ. We're basically just walking through John's Gospel this year. We come to chapter 4 where we're going to encounter this woman known as the woman at the well or a Samaritan woman. We're never given her name, but I just got to tell you, she is as contemporary and relevant in 21st century America as she is in 1st century Samaria. Her life is identical to what so many of us are striving for, but she finds herself lost and empty. She is searching for something that can fill the void in her life. And she is going to discover, as we will, again, if you're following, that true satisfaction, true satisfaction only comes from one source. One source. So if you would, you probably, a lot of you have done this already, take your Bibles and turn them to John chapter 4. If you don't have your own Bible, we encourage you to grab the red one in the seat in front of you there. 
We're going to cover 42 verses, so I really would encourage it this week. You might want to have that open as we walk through this text. I mentioned in the bulletin call, and let me just say it again, there's no way we can possibly go in depth into everything this passage can teach us. But what we are going to go in depth in is this encounter that this woman has with Jesus Christ. And we get to experience that encounter ourselves. So let's prepare ourselves once again by praying. Would you do that with me? Lord, I am so glad that you chose to keep this encounter in Scripture for us because it speaks to every one of our hearts in this room. And if we'll let you now, you will reveal what you want us to see and to hear and to do. So we invite you, we invite you to be the teacher in this place. Open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, use this text that's over 2,000 years old to change us as you have for centuries. We look forward to it with anticipation in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look at verse 1. Are you excited that we get to open up God's Word together? It's living and active. Ready? The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. If you were here last week, you remember Jeff was talking about how John and Jesus wanted nothing to do with envy or rivalry in their ministry, right? And so when Jesus sees that these religious leaders are trying to stir up something between him and John, he decides, I'm going to leave. And now we get to verse 4, which I'm going to have you read out on our notes here. It's the shortest verse in this text, but to me, one of the most important. Let's read it. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Interesting word choice. Because truthfully, he didn't have to go through Samaria. The Bible's lying to us. Just kidding. You see, no good Jew, no good Jew, if they could avoid it, would ever set foot in Samaria. In fact, take a look at this map. We see where Jesus was doing his ministry down there in Judea near uh, Jerusalem. Almost every Jewish person, if they had to travel up north to Galilee, you see that black line? That's the route they would go. They would cross the Jordan River, go over on the east side of the Jordan, and then cross back over in order to get into Galilee because they did not want to step foot in this contaminated land. And yet we see by the red arrow, Jesus takes a more direct route, doesn't he? He goes straight up right into Samaria. Now, why all this animosity towards the Samaritans? Well, we learn from history, if you uh, read the Old Testament, way back in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom known as Israel is captured by the Assyrians and they are brought into captivity. And what the Assyrians decide to do is they bring some other people to come and inhabit the land of, of Israel during the time of the captivity. Well, eventually the Israelites start going back home after the Assyrians are no longer in power and the Israelites start to intermarry with these people that had been transplanted there. So the Jewish people in the southern kingdom viewed them as religious half-breeds. And it got even worse. You see, the Samaritans decided that only the first five books of the Old Testament were valid. The Torah, we've talked about this before. They got rid of the rest of the Old Testament, basically. And not only that, it gets even worse. They decided to build their own temple. There was a temple in Jerusalem. They decided, we're going to build our own temple. And so the reason no Jew wanted to set foot in Samaria is they hated them. They viewed them as apostates at best and demon-possessed at worst. And so now we know why Jesus had to go through Samaria, don't we? Jesus is all about breaking down these barriers that we erect 
as human beings that make no difference in his kingdom. Verse 5. Oh, let me stop there on your notes there. If you're following, Jesus had to show his message is for everyone. He had to show this, right? It's for everyone. There's no race, social status that is exempt from entering into the kingdom of God. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. This is just an itty-bitty town outside of a city named Shechem. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And by the way, do you know it's still there 23 centuries later? Here's a picture of Jacob's well today. It's become more of a tourist attraction, but it's actually a functioning well. It still works. You can still get water from it. You can go and visit this actual historic place, Jesus' well. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. I could do a whole sermon just on that verse. We learned in John 1 that Jesus is God. And yet it tells us here he's tired. Why? How could God be tired? Because he's also 100% what? Human. He's tired. He experienced the same things we experience. The rest of verse 6 says it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour in Jewish reckoning was noon. And so this would have been a really lonely spot for Jesus to sit down uh, by himself for a while. Nobody came to the well at noon. Everybody would come to the well at about 6 o'clock in the evening. The women of the town would gather. They'd come out to the well at about 6. Not in the heat of the day. Nobody, if you're following on the notes, came at noon. Nobody came at noon unless not wanting to be seen. That's called foreshadowing. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, interesting, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Again, two very important details for us here. First, notice she came when nobody else would, right? She knows nobody will be at the will. Just as we discovered, women generally would go together in groups for two reasons. First, to share the burden of lifting up the water from the well, but secondly, just to socialize. I was going to make some joke about how they go to bathrooms and packs, but I'll avoid that. (laughs) But notice, she wants none of that. She wants to go by herself. She does not want to be seen. Second, Jesus' question to her breaks pretty much just about every social rule of this time. First of all, a rabbi would never speak to a woman. That's just how it was. Secondly, we just talked about this, a Jewish person would never want to speak to a Samaritan. And then worst of all, do you notice what Jesus is asking in this question? Can you give me a drink? In other words, can I use your cup to have a drink of water? That would have been unthinkable to share the same cup that a Samaritan had used. But as he so often does, Jesus is breaking barriers, isn't he, friends? These distinctions that we make as human beings mean nothing in the kingdom of God. Well, obviously, this question doesn't go unnoticed by this woman. She's just as surprised as anybody who would be reading this text would be, just as surprised as this Jesus' disciples are when they return. Look at what she says in verse 9. The Samaritan woman asks him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The tone of her question is, in effect, What are you doing asking me for a drink? Don't you know the rules? You can't just instantly break down centuries of barriers. You know, I've always uh, thought of this woman as I read this text more and more and kind of the replies that she has towards Jesus. I mean, you've got to imagine, she's coming alone, right? She's running from something. She's hiding from something. I think she's a little bit edged in life. 
She's got a little bit of an edge to her. She's kind of a uh, little bristly. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show Cheers. You remember back in the 80s? I'm dating myself now. How many of you remember Cheers? Remember Carla from Cheers? That's who I think of when I think about this Samaritan woman, man. She's just, she's had a tough life. That's why she's here at noon. And she's got some attitude going on. And you can tell it in some of her questions. But Jesus is patient. That's why we get the first clue here about why he had to travel through Samaria. The gospel is for people like her. No matter her past, no matter her race, no matter her social status, he had to, had to come to Samaria to share the good news with them. So he perseveres. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water, that's a phrase that people would have used in Jesus' world for what we might call today running water. Living water as opposed to stagnant water in a well or in a pool. We're talking about water in a stream or in a river. Water that's pure. Water that is alive. And again, in a very sarcastic, Carla-like tone, look at her reply. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to drop with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Translated, you must really think you're something special, buddy. I mean, you're talking about this flowing water. I mean, you're just going to make it appear out of nowhere? Of course, she's still thinking in terms of physical, right? But notice what Jesus says to her in verses 13 and 14. Let's read it out loud on our notes. He says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Remember Nicodemus two weeks ago? Jesus uses the image of being born again, and he's so confused because he's thinking in terms of the physical. And same with this woman. He's talking about this running, living water, and she's thinking in terms of the physical, but Jesus is obviously talking about a spiritual reality here, isn't he? He's talking about a different kind of life that is available to those who come to him. He's saying, listen, what I've got to offer comes from within you. It will fill the emptiness once and for all of your life. You don't need to look outside of yourself anymore to find satisfaction. I have a water that can fill you from deep within. If you're falling on your notes, what is Jesus talking about when he says living water? It's pretty simple. He's talking about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. In other words, those who trust in Christ will never be without water again because it will now flow from within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The image I get when I read this is, uh, think about uh, how lucky we are. We, we, we take this so for granted in the United States where whenever we want living water or running water, what do we have to do? We just go to our faucet. We just turn it on and you got a nice clean, pure glass of water. Well, they don't have that back here, right? A lot of people around the world don't have that. We take it uh, so for granted, but what Jesus is promising this woman, this is why I think her response is, they're like, whatever, man. It's like, you can have this constantly flowing in your life from within you, this spiritual refreshment where you can find fulfillment instantly. It's always there for you. You just got to turn it on like a faucet. Still not understanding, though. Woman, in verse 15, said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. What 
$1,000. This sounds like a great deal. Now I don't have to come in the middle of the day avoiding everybody. I can just have this water at home for me whenever I want it. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Getting a little personal now here, aren't we? It's noteworthy to me. Please don't zone out on this. Jesus doesn't condemn her. He doesn't shame her. He simply states the truth in her life and lets it stand on its own. And what he's doing here, if you're following, is he confronts her. He confronts her with the central problem of her life. What's her problem? She has been trying to find her fulfillment in relationships with men. But he is showing her, she is saying it herself, that it has always left her empty. She goes from one man to the next. Of course, the question is, why is Jesus doing this? Is he just trying to be mean? Is he trying to judge her? No. Please understand, I think what Jesus is doing here is saying, if you want to experience this living water, like you're telling me you do, you have to first get rid of the hindrances in your life that would keep you from doing so. We all experience this, right? Anytime I go and try to water my lawn, which I just did on Friday, I put some fertilizer down, I needed to get some water on it right away, I go set up the whole lawn, the hose system, I got everything ready to go, I get back to the faucet, I turn it on, nothing. Of all these expectations and nothing's happening. So what do I have to do? I have to follow the hose all the way back to the source. And sure enough, on the way, what do I discover? Oh, there's a knot inside of the hose. There's a, a twist that's causing the water not to be able to flow. That is exactly what Jesus is trying to show this woman. Listen, you want living water? You've got to deal with the knots in your life. The Bible says there are two steps to redemption, two steps towards this living water. Number one, repentance. Number two, belief. We don't talk a whole lot about repentance, though. Repentance is that first act, the human act, where we clean out our lives, where we acknowledge those things that are hindering us from allowing God's indwelling presence to flow freely within us. And it's when we repent, when we take those knots out in our life, that he is now free and able to move and to use us. And we experience the living water. If you're following on your notes, life in Christ cannot flow without repentance. Do you know that? I mean, do we get up to the point where it's like, man, this isn't everything I thought it was going to be, this whole Christian thing. Is it possible it's because there's something blocking the flow, the fellowship between you and God? Jesus says, if you want this running, pure water just bubbling up inside of you, then you've got to get rid of the stale, moldy water Peter put it this way. It's one of my favorite verses in Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That's a great promise. But look at this second promise. That the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The times of refreshing. What a great way to put it. Well, for whatever reason, whatever reason, this woman decides to take Jesus up on his offer. She wants this living water. She has thirsted after love and acceptance for far too long. Her, she knows it's never quenched what she really needs, so she takes 
she takes him up on it. We're not there yet, though. First of all, she tries to avoid this whole subject of her husband, doesn't she? What do you do when somebody's getting too close to the truth in your life? She changes the subject. She wants to start talking about religion. Hey, enough about me. Let's talk about religion. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. That's a great verse, and thank you. It is funny. Yeah, obviously, you know everything about my life. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. If this was happening today, I think it would be more like, hey, I see you went to seminary, you must be really smart. Can you solve the conundrum of predestination versus the free will of man? Every small group I lead eventually gets to that question. <laughs> well, for them, the question was worship. What's the right kind of worship? Where do we worship? How do we worship? Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I did a whole message on this once. I mentioned in my bulletin column there, all Jesus is saying essentially is worship is not about places, it's not about buildings, it's not about temples, it's not about mountains, it's about this right here. It's about our heart, it's about spirit, and it's about truth. And speaking of truth, let's get back to you, Jesus said. Verse 25, the woman said, well, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. In other words, I'm done with this conversation. Thank you for your insight. I'm about to head back home now. I know that one day all this stuff will be answered. Now, I can't read this next uh, verse without getting the chills. I would so have loved to have been standing there to hear Jesus say these next words to this woman. He says, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I am he. Some critics say Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? And not only is he claiming to be the Messiah, he uses this phrase in the Greek, I am. I am. This harkens all the way back to Exodus 3 when Moses was asking God, your God calls Moses to lead the people out of slavery. He's like, if I have to go do this, what's your name that I can tell the people? And God looks and tells him, I am who I am. Yahweh. And Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, uses that same name, I am. The, Greek, the Jews would have gotten it. The Samaritans would have gotten it. What is Jesus claiming here? He is eternal God. He is Yahweh. And if you're following on your notes, as God, he is saying, I alone can fill your emptiness. I alone can fill your emptiness. Can we just pause in this incredible story here for a moment? I don't want us to miss this. How many of you had to take square dancing when you were in junior high? I'm breaking out in cold sweats just remembering this right now. <laughs> I mean, we would have to go into our gym and we'd line up and of course all the boys would be on one side of the gym while all the girls were on the other side of the gym. We wanted nothing to do with each other until our PE teacher, why PE teachers teach square dancing, I still don't understand. <laughs> but they would like pair you up with a girl or with a guy. We'd have to go into the middle of the gym and we'd have to square dance. And one of the songs that they would play in square dancing was this torturous song called there's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. Have you heard this song? There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. This whole song 
revolves around this girl and this boy, this girl named Liza and this boy named Henry. And Henry's got a hole in his bucket, and so he's asking Liza how he can fix this hole in his bucket, and she tells her, well, you need straw. And he says, well, how do I get straw? Well, you need an axe. Well, how do I get an axe that's sharp enough? Well, you need to sharpen it on the sharpening stone, and you need to wet that sharpening, and it goes on and on, and he's like, well, how do I get, what do you need to, what do you need to wet a sharpening stone? Water. And so he asks, well, how do I get water? And she says, with a bucket. But there's a hole in my bucket, and the song starts over and over. <laughs> How many of you remember this song? I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> Woo, I'm going to be singing it all day, having nightmares tonight. I think what Jesus is trying to tell us in this encounter with this woman is there's a hole in her bucket. In fact, there's a hole in every single one of our hearts. And if we try to fill it up with anything other than God. Guess what? It's just going to leak all over and leave us thirsty again. Now, I know I'm going out on a limb here. We don't normally do this, but can I possibly get two brave suckers, I mean volunteers, uh, to come up real quick? I mean, this is literally like a 30-second deal. Two volunteers, please. Come on. Thank you, Bruce. Come on, one of you. Oh. Everybody see what I got here? Water. So all I'm going to ask these volunteers to do is to taste this water and tell me, uh, just tell me what they think. Tell me what you think about this. Take just a sip. Tell me about your water. Clean, refreshing, good, good water. How about you, Bruce? Very salty. Not very good then, I imagine, huh? Quenches your thirst? Okay. Can you thank our volunteers? And I will give you some real good water. To wash out. You know, you know the thing about salt water? It looks an awful lot like real water, doesn't it? But if you drink enough salt water, what will eventually happen to you? You'll dehydrate and die. We got salt water all over our world, don't we? I mean, we got all kinds of wells. And we go to these wells, but there's nothing in there. But salt water, I mean, what's some of the stuff we go to, we think, this is going to satisfy me, this is going to fill me, but it just turns out to leave me empty. Again, what do I have here? I'm going to go to the well like the woman did, the well of relationships. If I just have a relationship with a man or with a woman, or maybe it's a friendship for her, it was a number of them. She kept going from one to the next to the next. She thought, if I just meet the Mr. Right, my life will be fulfilled. And she discovered it just left her empty. But what else do we go to? What else do we think is going to satisfy us? How about this one? The Benjamins? I mean, I hear people say all the time, well, I sure know that's not ultimately going to satisfy me, but I'm going to go down trying. And yet we discover all the money in the world eventually leaves us to where it led Howard Hughes. Empty. Believing the myth of more. How about some other things here? The myth that just one more drink, that'll satisfy me. I have dear friends, dear friends, who have struggled with this. They have tried to fill the hole in their lives with alcohol. And thankfully, they're on the path of realizing that's never going to leave them full. It only leaves them empty. And how about this one? We don't really talk a lot about this in the church, do we? 
I mean, how easy is it if I'm down or depressed to run to food to fill me instead of the Lord? And we do it again and we do it again. And it always leaves us hungry again, doesn't it? Well, I got a few more things here. How about this? I mean, I, I can acknowledge to you, I can't believe sometimes how emotionally tied up I get into my sports teams. I picked Missouri to win the whole tournament, and I was like <laughs> depressed for the last, you know, two days. I'm just going, wait a minute. By the way, these are tied together. I know that's like a mortal sin in our church, isn't it? <laughs> Man, we go to sports and we act like that's going to fulfill our lives. How about this? Technology. We have it in abundance now, don't we? And it's not just the technology, it's what we can do with the technology. We can surf the web and waste countless hours thinking this is going to fulfill me. We can check out pornography without anybody ever knowing. And yet it ultimately leaves us empty. Again, speaking of the internet, how about this thing? <laughs> it's got to do it. i got to do it. I mean, sometimes this can become like our consuming passion, how people see my life. I got to have other people know this is bringing me fulfillment when I have a thousand friends. I got a couple more here. About this, got some weights. Because I really want to look the best that I can possibly look so that I can find my fulfillment in how other people view me or in my own self body image, right? I mean, if I can just get those people to say, wow. Look at him. I get that all the time, by the way. I mean, it's just... <laughs> How about these? Tylenol, it's the best I could do for drugs. <laughs> but I actually wanted to use over-the-counter prescription drugs for a reason. You know, I've got to be careful. I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't need prescription drugs sometimes, but sometimes I have people who are dearly loved by me who run to these first thing, they think without the prescription drugs, I will not be satisfied. My life will go downhill from there. I got one more. This is my diploma. Aren't you impressed? <laughs> Success. I mean, right now I'm in a doctorate program. Am I doing that just because I want you all to call me doctor someday? It's possible. <laughs> But will that find me fulfillment? It won't. Now here's the important thing for me to say about all those things. None of them in and of themselves are bad. However, they can become our idols when we think those are the things that are going to bring my life fulfillment. Can I just tell you that ultimately they're just going to leave us empty again? Do you know that? Do you know if you're falling on your notes that the drinks of this world will never satisfy us? Remember we talked about Solomon? I mean, this guy tried it all. He tried all that stuff, and he comes to the very end of his life, and these are his words. How sad, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. All this stuff I thought that would fill me and satisfy me, it turns out it's just meaningless. There's a hole in my bucket still. Have you learned that? Or are you still drinking the salt water?
Friends, this message today is just as applicable in the 21st century as it was in the first century, isn't it? Only Christ can fill your empty heart. You are made to do life with him. Without him, you are going to be empty. And yet, here's the amazing thing. This is his invitation. Isaiah 55.1. Is anyone thirsty? Are you? I am. Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come. Take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. And then Jesus himself says in the very last book of the Bible, some of his last words, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires, drink freely from the water of life. Incredible. Incredible. I want to ask you, have you heard Jesus' invitation personally to come? He says to the woman at the well, come, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who was sitting on this well with you, you'd ask him for a drink. And what would he do? He'd give you living water. The same is true for you this morning, friends. The same is true for me. If I'm following, if you're following on your notes, have I been filled with the living water? Have I been filled with the living water? Are you still trying to fill that hole with the wells of this world? Well, back to our story. Apparently, this woman takes Jesus up on this offer. And uh, when she does, her life experiences this whole new purpose, this whole new meaning. Let's look at the rest of this amazing text. Verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned. You remember where they were? They were in town getting food, right? And were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Uh, yeah, especially a Samaritan woman. But no one asked. What do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Don't you? This is like the humanness of the Bible right here. Can't you picture these guys? They're like sulking back from the town. Like, that was lame. We got to buy their food. And now we got to drink their water. Oh, my gosh. Who is he talking? Are you going to ask him? I'm not. Just keep your head down, dude. <laughs> Otherwise, we will be here all day. Sadly for them, it actually turns out to be two days. Verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come. Does that sound familiar? Come. See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This is so cool. This woman who came empty leaves filled and forgiven and free. She goes back to the very town where the people lived that she was trying to avoid, where she was an outcast unloved, disregarded, and she wants nothing more than to invite them to come and experience the living water that she has. She's turned from like Carla to Lucille Ball. <laughs> or if you're falling on your notes, with her thirst quenched, with her thirst quenched, her life overflows. Her life overflows. You see, when you're connected to the source of life, you are free and you are full, and she is free, and she is full. Verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Just think about this. This woman, who they had disregarded, is coming into town, telling them they all need to meet this uh, person at the well. Like, what would cause them to actually listen to her? Got any guesses? It's because they can see that the Spirit of God working in her life. She has experienced and drank deeply of some living water. When you consider 
the little this woman knew about spiritual truth, her zeal should put thee to shame. It does. I mean, here she is. She's not trained theologically. She's not trained in the Roman road, any of these things. She just goes and tells these people who hated her, you've got to come. You've got to come and meet this person. Well, while that's all going on, Jesus has a kind of a side discussion with his disciples. Verse 31, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? (laughs) They're no different from Nicodemus. They're no different from this woman, right? They always are thinking in terms of the physical. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Most people think when Jesus says this, he basically has the disciples all turn their gaze towards this town of Sakar, where all of a sudden all these people are coming up to the well to meet them. And he says, look, the field is ripe for the harvest. Look at all these people coming. Verse 36, even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Can I just give you my translation, or what what I think Jesus is saying here? I think he's saying, I sent you to town already, and all you bring back is food. And this woman, who is despised, has been rejected. She goes back to town, and she is bringing with her what really matters. She has done the work of the sowing. And now we have the incredible opportunity to reap the harvest that the Father has provided. Now read verse 39. Out loud, if you would, on your notes. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Amazing. They believe because of this woman. The only explanation, if you're following, is that in her transformation, in her transformation, they can see it. They can smell it. Many others encounter Christ. Many others experience this living water because she can't help but overflow with it. She comes to this well, remember? Thirsty, dry, broken, and empty. Her soul is cracked, her heart is parched now. She is full, so full, in fact, that she is overflowing living water. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Ray Bakke, who's a great teacher, says, Jesus had about a thousand days on earth to do his ministry, you know, when he starts his ministry, and he uses two of those in this tiny Samaritan town. How great is our Savior? And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That's such an important statement there. Jesus didn't come just for an elect few, did he? Aren't you glad? He came for people like the woman at the well, for people like Nicodemus. He came to be the Savior of what? The world, the kingdom of God, is open and available to all who will come and drink from the river of life. What an unusual evangelist this woman is. She just reports her encounter. People come and see for themselves, and they too now are filled with a new life. She started off empty, now she's overflowing. 
Friends, as we close this morning, let me just ask you, what's flowing out of your life these days? Love, joy, peace, patience. It's a tough one. Goodness, encouragement, kindness, truth. See, that's called the fruit of the Spirit. And if we really have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit able to freely move within our lives, to be able to flow within us, these kind of things are just going to overflow from us. Is it for you? If you're falling on your notes, when we're connected to the source, our lives will overflow. Or let me just ask you the tough question. You've been sitting here and you know something's blocking me. Something is blocking me, hindering me from experiencing this overflow that this woman experienced. Are you going to make it right? Are you going to still drink the salt water? Which wells are you going to go to? The wells of this world or the well that offers the living water of Jesus Christ? He gives it to you freely. Do you now see why I can say this text is as relevant today as it ever has been? Come. Come and see the life I have for you. As we close, I'll ask you the question, is my life overflowing with the living water? You could also write, is my life overflowing with the Holy Spirit? Because it's the same thing. Let's pray. Lord, I'm going to be the first one to stand up here and to confess to you that I need this reminder every single morning I wake up. It is so easy for me to try to find satisfaction in the wells of this world. So easy for me to forget that I have within me now, because I have trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit, always available to lead me and to guide me. I have living waters. And I just need to tap into them. And I so often don't. I confess it to you. Or so often I have blockages or hindrances that are keeping me from experiencing what you really want me to experience. And I don't think I'm alone. I think each of us struggle with this since Genesis chapter 3, since Adam and Eve, Lord, we have struggled with trying to fill the hole in our hearts. But you have reminded us once again today that there is no other well that can fully satisfy but the well of Jesus Christ, which offers the living water. And so, Lord, help us to consider these things as we now think about them in this song.